Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Glad y'all are here. Uh, I am really glad to be here with you this morning. You know, Jesus said one of his commands was love one another. And this is one of the places where that command uh, walks around with skin on. And uh, my prayer is that everybody in our church would experience community uh, like that, where we love one another, uh, just like Jesus told us to do. Um, I want to pray for us, and then I want to bring Carter Losey up to share with us about his time in Uganda. Um, so let's, uh, let's do pray together. Father, we thank you that uh, you give us a place where, uh, as I said, the command to love one another walks around with skin. And we have opportunity to be in community with our brothers and sisters and to worship you and to study your word and to pray and to give and to serve and to, to uh, make the world around us a little better uh, because we are your people and you fill us with your spirit uh, to do good works. Uh, Father, we love this place and we love one another and we love you most of all. And we pray, Father, that your love would pervade our lives and that um, the worship that we offer you this morning would be simply a reflection of the love we have for you. And Father, we ask your blessing on our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Carter, if you'd come up, man, tell us what you've been up to. So we, uh, uh, we got back into uh, Chicago on, uh, I think it was the 8th of August. Um, I really enjoyed my time in Uganda, but I'm very, very happy uh, to be back in the United States. If there's one thing I learned, it was uh, I'm blessed to have what I have here. Um, Uganda is a very different place, everything from infrastructure to lifestyle. Um, America uh, is uh, much different, and I'm very blessed to have what I have. Um, so we flew to uh, Kigali, Rwanda. Uh, we spent the night in Rwanda, um, first night, and then the next morning we went to uh, the Genocide Memorial, <clears throat> which was extremely sad, um, but it was very well made. It was uh, very beautiful. They did a very good job with it. They were very upfront about what happened, which is great. Um, then we went to uh, Kabale, Uganda, where we spent most of our time uh, working with um, a guy named Eddie, who is uh, running his own uh, child care and development um, business, uh, well, organization, I should say. Um, so most of the time we were filming with uh, Eddie, uh, shooting interviews and just filming uh, some of the different places where he wants to put buildings, and then um, also just getting some footage of the kids and him interacting with them. And then I focused a little bit more on the business side and consulting, um, helping him through his business plan um, and comparing it to what I know and what he knows. <laughs> um, and then uh, Sunday, I got really ill. <laughs> um, it was uh, uh, very difficult. I appreciate everyone who prayed for me that day. I, uh, it, was, it was not a fun day. I, uh, I was really worried about whether I could finish the trip, and it's not like I could exactly fly home three days early. Um, but luckily, uh, later that night, um, we had some doctors come, and as soon as I walked in the room, 
I just felt so much better. Um, God was with them. And uh, I slept great that night. We got up. We went to Embrara, which is about two hours away. Um, I felt great. Uh, not 100%, but much better. <laughs> um, so uh, in Embrara, we worked with Juna Amagara. And then we worked with um, an organization called Free Indeed. Uh, Free Indeed was started by a lady named uh, Stacy Pleasance, who actually lives in Peoria. And uh, um, she went over there, I think in 2017, maybe earlier, and I started this organization for refugee women, mostly from the Congo, but just refugee women in Uganda um, who have nothing. And uh, so what they do is they employ them at a uh, US rate, and then they uh, make products like jewelry or crafts, and then uh, they're sold in uh, Uganda, and then also in the United States. So when I flew back, we brought some product back for Stacy to sell uh, and help support those women. Uh, so we also did some filming with interviews with them, and then we also uh, uh, focused on some more consulting business for them. Um, overall, it was a really good trip, minus getting sick. <laughs> um, that was very uh, uh, painful. It was not fun. Um, luckily, I'm, I'm better. I wasn't feeling great last Sunday, um, but I feel 100% now. <laughs> um, but it was a really good trip. I'm happy I went. Um, Uganda, uh, it, they need our support. Uh, they need our prayer. Um, there's a lot of people that, uh, that, need, that need our prayer. Yeah. Second quarter. <laughs> okay. So just give us some details here. How many, uh, how many orphans does Juna Amagara work with? Uh, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. Um, hundred or so? It's close to a thousand, I think. Oh, a thousand. I know there's a couple. Uh, they have some different uh, locations. We actually went to a uh, high school and orphanage where there's um, 300 there, and there's some other places too. Oh, wow. Okay, well, let's pray for Carter and let's pray for, for Uganda together. Father, you have your people all around the world in uh, comfortable circumstances as here and in very challenging circumstances as in Congo and Uganda and Rwanda and other places. Um, Father, you have uh, your people there to do good works as, uh, as your children, as an outcome of their salvation. The fact that they know Jesus leads them to do these things like caring for the widow, the orphan, the refugee. Uh, Father, uh, there are thousands even millions of needy people all around the world and gave Carter an opportunity to work with some uh, small portion of them. Father, we pray you would bless Carter as he heads back to school and uh, heads into um, pursuing the goals that you have for his life. Uh, Father, we pray that this trip would, would uh, be used of you to shape what those goals uh, are uh, going forward. But also, Father, we pray your blessing on Juna Amagara and these other ministries that he worked with uh, in Uganda. We pray uh, for, for them to prosper and to be able to reach and touch even more uh, refugee women and orphans, uh, that homes might be found for the, the orphan, that uh, help might be given to the widow and the refugee. And Father, we, um, we pray for your, your work to go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you.
All right. Well, this morning we're going to spend some time together in God's Word looking at something that I think is truly amazing. Uh, we're going to be looking at the longest prayer by Jesus in the entire Bible. Uh, we're not going to look at all of it, uh, at least not this at least not this morning. We're not. Uh, eventually we'll get through all of it. Um, but I think what one of the things that makes it fascinating, as you read the Gospels, uh, you discover that Jesus prayed a lot. Is that a safe statement? I think so. Uh, Jesus prayed a lot. In fact, he prayed so often and so well that his disciples came to him at one point and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you remember this one? Right? And he teaches them a prayer uh, although it's not one that he personally prays with them. He teaches them how to pray. He gives them one to pray. Uh, but most of his prayers that we have recorded for us are actually very short. They're just a sentence or two. Uh, you have, for example, his prayer at the raising of Lazarus. You have his prayers from the cross. You have his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But most of what's recorded there is just a sentence or two. Here you have paragraphs of Jesus' prayers where he pours out his innermost thoughts at that moment to God in front of his disciples, and they write down what he said. Uh, we have probably, if you add all of the other prayers of Jesus up together, they don't equal the length of this one. And so uh, this chapter, John 17, is traditionally called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, some call it the holy of holies of sacred scripture, where you actually get to see into Jesus' own mind for a whole chapter. Uh, and what we see there, we, we see the veil that largely surrounds Jesus' prayers parted, and we enter into his thoughts for just a just a minute or two and so we want to look at the first five verses today of jesus great prayer the section where he prays for himself it divides into three sections the first one he prays for himself then he prays for his disciples and then he prays believe it or not for you and i that you are included in the bible did you know that that jesus prays for you we're going to get there eventually but we're not going to get there today what we're going to see today is how jesus prays for himself so let me read the text and then let me pray for us when jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We pray. Father, we do pray as we read Jesus' prayer and study it and dig into it that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. 
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this section of Jesus' prayer has three components. And I think it's important that we see all of them in order to get the full blessing that I think Jesus intends for us to have by studying his prayer. And the first sentence, what you see is that Jesus prays that the Father might glorify him so that he might glorify the Father. And that seems simple enough to understand, but I think there's more that we also need to grasp. If you look at your text again, what you see here is Jesus says, he prays to the Father and he says, the hour has come. And in order to really understand what Jesus is saying there, you need to ask and answer this question, what hour? What hour has come? Is he talking about, you know, like 11.30? Is he talking about, you know, what time it is at night? What hour is he talking about? He, what he's talking about is the hour, if you will, the time, the period of time in his life that his whole life and ministry has been devoted to and has been leading up to the entire reason why the Son of God became incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the hour of the fulfillment of God's salvation plan, which he had set in motion before he made the world. It's the hour of Jesus' crucifixion and His death for the sin of the world. Jesus is going to die for the world. Remember we talked about the world in the previous chapter. The world are the people who hate Jesus and who live their lives in rebellion against Him. These are the people for whom Jesus is going to die. And Jesus says, my hour has come to do what you sent me to do to fulfill everything imagine this just think about this for a second before there was a creation before there was a world before there was a genesis 1 there was only god before anything else was made god and his plan had a plan to create a world, to create humanity, knowing that humanity would eventually rebel against him and would need a Savior. And he said, I'm going to provide the Savior even before I make the world. I'm going to send the Son to become incarnate as one of the creatures that we will make in our image and redeem them through his death. And he set in motion not only the plan, but if you understand the scripture rightly, you understand that not just the, not just the year, not just the place, not just the time, but right down to the very minute on the very day that he prophesied through his prophets, Jesus was executed at the very time that God had set before the world was made. Now, of the two of us, my wife is more of the planner, right? Like, if it's Saturday morning, and 
and we've just woken up and we're, we're laying there and I'm about to open my eyes, right? She'll kind of snuggle next to me and she'll say, honey, what's your plan for the day? And I'm thinking, well, in about a second here, I'm going to open my eyes and then I'm going to go drink some coffee. <laughs> After that, I'm not really sure, <laughs> right? What did you have in mind? <laughs> and she'll have a plan laid out because she'll have been awake longer than me and she'll have, have thought through what she wants to get done that day, right? I mean, what I want to get done like, is what I want to get done in the next five minutes, like put on pants, go have coffee, sit and read my Bible. Beyond that, I haven't really thought, right? But God thought way in advance before the world was made of your need for salvation and mine. And Jesus says, right this minute is the time that we had planned from all eternity past. This is the hour. And he says, glorify me in that hour. It, you think about that for just a second. This is truly amazing. Do you understand what Jesus means in his prayer, asking God to glorify him in that hour that he might glorify the Father? To glorify something is to celebrate it and highlight its grandeur and its beauty and to draw attention to it. So let me ask you, when Jesus is praying to God, asking to be glorified that he might glorify the Father, what's he asking for? He's asking to be glorified in the cross. To be glorified in his humiliation and death. Because that's the purpose for which he came. It's in suffering, in dying, in agony and pain. He is anticipating eagerly and, and asking God to bring about that event. I don't like to get a hangnail. And Jesus says, I want to be glorified in the cross that I might glorify you in the cross. How can Jesus possibly glorify, uh, how can he be glorified and glorify the Father in that? It is this, is that in his suffering, it highlights and celebrates and reveals something about the grandeur and beauty of the triune God. And what it reveals is this, that God is holy in his wrath against sin, and it cannot be compromised with, it cannot be bargained with, it cannot be reasoned away. Absolute holiness is mandatory in order to stand in the presence of a holy God. Sin cannot be dealt with any other way than through death. And God will not grade on the curve. And human beings, by contrast, are infested with sin in every part of who they are, who we are. 
in our bodies, in our souls, in our minds. Every part of us is infested and infected by sin. And so therefore, God is perfectly just in condemning every single one of us to be, as Thessalonians says, shut out from His presence and the majesty of His power forever. Amen? God would be perfectly just to do that. So how is God glorified in the cross? How is it that this is the place where the Son is glorified and brings glory to the Father? It is because in the cross, God demonstrates both the absolute holy justice of His wrath against sin because there is a death. Amen? The death, in fact, of the only begotten Son of God. But what else do we see revealed? What else do we see celebrated? What else do we see the grandeur and beauty of? Of the love of God that has that death occur for a purpose, and the purpose is the redemption of sinners from the world. The redemption of you and me. The redemption of billions of people down through the ages since His crucifixion. The redemption of the Old Testament saints who looked forward to the day when God would provide Messiah. This is, in a sense, the most glorious moment of Jesus' life is the moment where He hangs naked, dying, and bleeding on a cross when He is most glorified by God. And when He glorifies God most by being willing to do that in order to achieve in obedience to the Father's plan the redemption and the punishment for sin in the same instant. He's saying, God, bring this about. And I read that this week and I just sat in my chair and just went, that Jesus is eager to take this on. Father, the hour has come. Glorify me that I might glorify you. I was just in awe of what Jesus is asking for. To bear our sin in our place on the cross that he might be glorified and that the Father might be glorified in the fulfillment of His mission. He is asking for it to come. You know, I see Jesus' cross as a necessary evil. Jesus sees it as His grand moment of glory. When the Father brought him glory in redemption and in, the, and in his wrath against sin in the same instant, he sees it as the place where he most glorified the Father. And he's eager for it to come. That's why he prays for it. And there's more. Look at verses 2 through 4. We look at what we see there is that Jesus' glorification happens in the church, in the cross, by saving 
the church. By saving the church. Verse 2, we see the rest of the sentence that begins in verse 1, and it's giving us an additional reason why Jesus asked the Father to glorify Him in the cross, and it is because God the Father has given Him authority over every person. Over every person. That He might save, look at your Bible, it says, all whom the Father has given me. Now that expression might confuse you a bit, but what Jesus is saying is this, is that Jesus has authority to save every one of His elect. Every one of His elect. God has not chosen to save every single person, but He saves those whom He has chosen by His grace, and Jesus is looking beyond the cross to see their salvation that will come through it. He's looking to the salvation of all the people whom God will call to Himself and bring salvation to and who will therefore form the church down through the ages. In verse 3, we see Jesus define what eternal life is and we see that it is knowing God the Father and it is knowing Jesus Christ whom the Father sent. Now the word know there is a, an important word. This is, a, this is a word that doesn't have simply the idea of knowing some facts about. Knowing their name. Knowing where they come from. Knowing some characteristics about them. This is the idea of relational knowledge. Of intimacy. Of connection. Of of ongoing, growing, deeper relationship. You know, every now and then, I, I love to listen to Brad Paisley. And he has this beautiful song that he wrote to his wife. Uh, they've been married, I, I don't know how many years now, 20-some years, I think, at this point. And he has this song called Then, Right? And he walks through the stages of their relationship. And he says in the chorus on each, uh, on each verse is, And I thought I loved you then. Implication being, I love you more now. But I thought I loved you back then. But now I really love you. And then I, I, I got deeper in the relationship and I thought I loved you then. But... Now I really love you even more. And I relate to that because, you know, when I got married 23 years ago, I thought that I was like the Michael Jordan of romance. <laughs> okay, I really did. I thought, man, I got this thing wired. I know all there is to know about love and romance. Okay, and, and I am going to have... A glorious marriage. I mean, how could I not? I have married the world's greatest woman, and I am the world's greatest lover, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's going to be great, right? I told you before, uh, that expectation was dashed in the parking lot at church where we had our first fight, leaving the reception, <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> um, 
But here's what I discovered. That after 23 years, I know this woman. And I love her more now than I did then. And the glorious thing is, is that the same thing is true on her side. She knows me. She can predict what I'm going to say before I've said it. Well, I know what you're thinking, right? Why? Because she knows me. And when Jesus is talking about, when Jesus is talking about eternal life is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ, that's what he's talking about. That kind of knowledge of a deepening, growing, advancing, understanding, not just of who Jesus is, but of Him as a person. That there's a relationship that's here that is thriving and growing deep. A relationship that strengthens over time. That is eternal life. I said this in Sunday school uh, earlier today, but you know what the big deal about heaven is? The fact that Jesus is there. And when we get there, we are with Him. We're with Him. We're with the person with whom we have built this relationship and pursued and walked with all of our lives. We're with Him. And that's eternal life. You know, I, I don't, I, you know, the streets of gold and all that kind of thing will be nice. But I'll be with Jesus. That's what eternal life is. It's not that I live forever, although I do. It's that I live forever with Jesus. And that I know Him and know the Father. And the whole goal of my life has been satisfied in that relationship with Him that never ends. I never run out of time. Verse 4 is Jesus' announcement that He deserves to be glorified through the cross and by the salvation of the, of the church because He has already accomplished the Father's plan for Him on earth. He's saying, look, Father, this is the only thing left. I have done everything you ask me to do. I've, I've done it all. I've glorified you in every part of my life and ministry, and this is the, what is left, is that I might be glorified in the cross through the salvation of the church, and then, last step, return to you. And Jesus is saying, Father, I deserve this. I deserve to be glorified. I have accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. Now look at the last verse we're going to look at today, verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus asked the Father to glorify him in his return to him. There's this beautiful complementary parallel that's here in verses 4 and 5. If you look at it, he says... I glorified you on earth. Verse 4. Verse 5. Glorify me 
in your own presence with the glory I had with you. So in other words, I glorified you on earth. Glorify me in heaven as I return to you. Glorify me in returning to you. Jesus glorified the Father on earth and he is eagerly anticipating not only his glory in the cross, but also that he might be glorified in heaven and how that will be. Jesus asked him to return to him the glory that he enjoyed in the Father's presence before the world existed. Now that suggests some things about Jesus' incarnation that I don't fully understand. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that we read that Jesus emptied himself, and we don't really understand what that means. Except that it seems clear that Jesus relinquished the exercise of some of his divine power as he was here. You know, Jesus, when you, when you look at religious paintings, particularly from like the Middle Ages, whenever you see Jesus, he has like a glowing light around him and a halo, right? That's how you're supposed to know it's Jesus, right? Because all the holy people have halos. Uh, and Jesus has the biggest one. And so you know, okay, that's Jesus, right? Well, Jesus didn't look like that in real life. You know, they always pick, like, if they're going to paint Jesus as a baby, they pick the best-looking baby they can come up with. Because we want to make sure that everybody knows, well, that one clearly is Jesus. The Bible says that he had no form or majesty that we should desire him. In other words, translate that, he was an ordinary-looking dude. Okay? Looked like an ordinary Jewish guy. Probably about five foot tall with dark curly hair and a slightly large nose and olive skin. He was a Jewish looking guy. And what does it take for the glory of God to fit into that package? You got me. I have a master's in theology and I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. Because it's not a question I even know how to answer. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how the incarnation works. I can describe it to you. That the Son of God took on a human nature in, and, and grew, His human nature grew along with His body in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He was born as a baby to, through the womb of Mary. I can tell you all these things. But what does it look like for God to become a man? How does that happen? I don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus didn't glow when he walked. Okay? You couldn't tell, oh, that's the Son of God. Out of this group of 13 guys that are all wandering around, which one was Jesus? You might not know without some careful observation. Well, clearly that guy's the leader. That guy must be Jesus. here's what we understand he descended further from glory to become one of us than we can really imagine or understand 
It is a greater distance in kind for God to become a man than it is for a man to become an ant. But that's what Jesus does. That's what the Son of God does as He becomes incarnate in Jesus. Jesus relinquishes His heavenly glory to come and to die and to, re- to save the church and receive a different kind of glory in that. And now Jesus is asking that as He returns to heaven that He might have all of His glory fully restored. His eternal glory which somehow i think is even greater than before because of his incarnation and death and resurrection now as i said this week as i studied this passage and really looked at it read this chapter a bunch it's the first time i really looked at it intensely and i just sat in awe of what Jesus is asking because I think there's so much to learn about Jesus and about the Father and how he received glory in these few sentences. But as we look at this text and how to apply it to ourselves, we might wonder for a minute. Well, first of all, I'm not Jesus. So how does this relate to me? But let me draw out a couple of things things that I, I think I've discovered about how this text is meant to apply to me. Number one, we who are part of the church, we who are among the elect whom God has chosen to be saved out of the world, the people for whom Jesus willingly, eagerly went to the cross, you know what our responsibility is? To glorify Jesus. To glorify Jesus. It must never cease to be amazing to us that Jesus died for us. Willingly, eagerly, and with great anticipation. He died for us. He prayed to His Father that the hour of His glory in the cross might come. And we should glorify the Lord that He has chosen us and saved us. As the Scripture says, not by works of righteousness which we had done, but according to His mercy. Sometimes when people hear the word chosen or elect or that kind of thing, they they get the idea that, well, you know, God clearly saw that, you know, there was something special here. And so God, you know, you're welcome for you know having me on the team right no no not according to anything that was special or unique or wonderful about us but according to God's mercy he saved us and that should never cease to amaze us because you know I remember a little bit what it was like for me to be an unbeliever And I was not only going to hell, I was like working my way there. Trying to get there as fast as possible. Right? Ask my mother. She'll tell you. (laughs) Right? And I bet the same is true of some of you. That you enjoyed being a child of the devil. 
until you met Jesus who saved you and changed you and redeemed you and bought you. And it should never cease to amaze us that God would bring the likes of us into His kingdom. And then being amazed by that ought to cause us to glorify Jesus. To just stand and worship. I, I love the hymn that we sang, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. You know why I love it? I grew up singing it for one thing. But then I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And it was the seminary hymn. And about once a week, Chaplain Bill Bryan would lead us. It seemed like it was once a week. might not have been that often. But in my memory, that's how it was. And we would all stand, all 1,500 of us in Chaper Chapel would stand and sing, All hail the power of Jesus' name. And Chaplain Bill would blow his trumpet. Chaplain Bill went to be with Jesus about a year ago. For all I know, he's the trumpeter at the end. <laughs> okay. But we ought to stand and worship God in amazement and give Him glory for what He has done to bring salvation to the likes of us. And also, we need to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent for us. This is true, by the way, whether we are believers or unbelievers. Whether we've been Christians a long time, whether we're not Christians yet. Jesus tells us eternal life is knowing Him. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing Him. All kinds of things out there in the world, aren't there? There's a website for every desire imaginable. You're into quilting? Oh, we got a site for that, right? You're into, you're into guns and ammo? Boy, have we got stuff for you, right? We've got all kinds of stuff. You're into cross-stitch? We got that. You're into, into car modification? Oh, man, we got all that stuff, right? And you can pursue all these things. And if you have a lot of money, you can pursue them hard. But you know what I found out? There isn't life in any of that. Well, there's fun, there's relaxation, there's some enjoyment, there's some family time maybe you can build around some of those things. And they're not bad things. But they aren't life. They aren't life. Making money is not life. A college degree is not life. Having a nice house in a nice neighborhood is not life. Having good relationships or a good marriage is not life. None of these things are life. Life, eternal life, is knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, may I invite you today to find that which is really life. It's here. 
And Jesus, by His grace, offers it to us freely. And if you are a Christian, can I just encourage you with what you already know? I'm not telling you anything new. You already know that life is knowing Jesus. But we all need reminded to live as if that is the case. Amen? That we not devote all of our energy to 75 other things that we think are going to be fun. And some of them are. But they're not life. Eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. Life is found in pursuing and growing and deepening that relationship and putting that at the center of every part of every day until the day when we see Him. That's eternal life. And my prayer for all of us is that that's what we would do. That out of amazement and joy and utter shock that God in His mercy would find it glorious to redeem us. And we would find eternal life and live in it and for it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, You give us rich blessings from Your Word. And Father, I have done my best here this, this time to worship my way through the text and to hopefully draw attention to and glorify you and glorify Jesus in it. Because, Father, there is much to celebrate about you in these few verses. Father, I pray that we would, out of our joy and surprise at Christ being glorified, and you being glorified by Christ in the saving of the likes of us, that we would find the life that is really life. And having found it, that we would live for it and in it, with Jesus at the center of every part of every day, and pursue that relationship with him, that relationship with you that really is eternal life. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.